I'm Hannah Bailey. And I'm Tefra Jemian. Welcome to Yeah, the show about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah! yeah! week we have a guest in the studio with us by phone um Eunice Hong is uh calling in from Boston hi <laughs> hi Eunice Eunice works in a children's library in Lexington and also has a bookstagram uh at the unicorn reads a book that's unicorn spelled like Eunice so e-u-n-i-c I can spell <laughs> Eunice uh has been reading books and working with kids for as long as I can remember, which is a pretty long time because I met her before we started grade six. Yeah. And it's, it's been, been a while. while. And we really, I feel like we really bonded over our love of books and being little nerds. And so I'm really excited to have her on the show with us today. Thank you so much for being with us, Eunice. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. And it's definitely true. We bonded over mm-hmm. books, I think. I was talking to a coworker about this, pod, like being on yeah. this podcast, and I think that's one of the first things I was like, "Yeah, now that I think about it, we really yeah. talked about books a lot." Well, because we were like, <laughs> I think there's always yeah. those two kids in the class who just read more than they socialize, yeah. and like, although right. you you became really social in high school, actually, I shouldn't put that on you. <laughs> but books, books were my yeah, first. Friend, absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I resonate deeply with your friendship story because I also had a friend who I made in in seventh grade, not sixth grade, who we both read more than we liked to talk to yeah. other people, and that was <laughs> the basis of our entire friendship. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, I definitely remember like passing back and forth book recommendations in middle school, and I think it's really fun that now I was telling Eunice before we started recording um, a few of the books that we've done this year. I've just like seen on her bookstagram. And been like, we should do that. So <laughs> I really enjoy that we're uh, still passing back and forth book recommendations, you know, Me what, too. 17 <laughs> years later? <laughs> yeah, has it really been that long? <laughs> yeah, uh, you were 10 when we met. I had just turned 11. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so this week we are yeah. talking about a book also, which I first saw. Well, I didn't first see it on Eunice's Instagram, but I saw it on Eunice's Instagram and was like, oh, wait. Like, from the synopsis, this sounds like a book we should definitely read for our Mm -hmm. fantasy and sci-fi by Black Authors series. This is The Bells by Danielle Clayton. Uh, It's a fantasy novel set in a world that's a little bit New Orleans, a little bit Versailles, a little bit something else entirely. Um, It's a world in which people are the gris, they are gray and colorless, and the bells have the power of beauty to beautify, change the skin color, change the hair color. Really, society is kind of based on that. The protagonist of the book is Camilla, one of the bells who becomes the royal favorite. It's really wonderful. So uh, usually we start off by just like talking about our general impressions of the book. Eunice, you want to tell us a little bit about like why you like this book? Yeah, Um, I think what first drew me to this book was I've read something by Danielle Clayton before, Um, And I knew I really liked her writing. Um, And interestingly, or maybe ironically enough, it was the cover and how beautiful it was. Um, So, like, I'm definitely the type of person who 
judges by the cover. I mean, yeah, unfortunately, that's who I am. Um, and I saw the cover, um, saw how gorgeous it was, then read the synopsis and was like, ooh, I could definitely get behind this. Um, and yeah, I just really liked the world building, um, the really interesting um, aspect of how beauty is um, in the hands of these people who and then um, is, you know, just, um, yeah, mm -hmm. given to people. It's like a blank canvas and um, then kind of, you know, the insidious ways that like power and beauty um, come together um, to create this world. Um, so that was um, that was definitely what I really loved about this book. And I just really loved all the um, uh, descriptions of the different, um, like everything from like the teacup elephant yeah. to the um, like old timey, um, like technology, I guess, like the eye scopes, the paper balloons, like all those things. It's just like created this like really like um, visual and um, like tangible world. Yeah. So I love that about this book um, and obviously the messages of um, what uh, society says about beauty. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Hannah, do you have any like, you're nodding a whole yeah. lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, like I also, I loved the world building in this book. It's just so, I think I texted Teffer like halfway through reading it. And I was like, I just, I need this book to be a movie because it is so lush mm -hmm. and so just like beautiful and just the, yes. the kind of like steampunky technology mm -hmm. and, 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 and the, the teacup pets also. Like, I just, I need mm -hmm. tiny dragons fluttering around. Like, I, I need that same, in my life. Same. <laughs> I need a teacup elephant. <laughs> I, I need one. No, wait, you need a teacup hippo. Oh, yeah. A teacup hippo, that's true. Because, yeah, because hippos I, are your favorite. Hippos are my favorite. <laughs> I um <laughs> I have started playing a Pokemon game for the first time in my life. Uh it's like oh, the, the Pokemon game, right? I'm getting into video games units. Wait, yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> so my boyfriend really likes Pokemon and he has a Pokemon podcast mm. on the network. And uh Amazing. and he we've played like some video games, but I'm so bad at them because of course I didn't grow up playing them. But he was like I want right. to get you like an adventure one where like you don't have to be technically mm -hmm. good you can just kind of explore the world mm. so I'm playing mm -hmm. this Pokemon game and I love it I'm losing like hours into it but it has all these <laughs> right it's all these cute little animals that yeah. you just have oh, with yeah. you and mine is an Eevee which is just the most adorable <gasps> animal Eevees are the cutest They're so, cute. so I was reading yeah. this book and also playing Pokemon and then just having wild <laughs> dreams about tiny animals and it was it was just yes. fantastic mm-hmm yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was really enjoying reading this after so our last episode, the episode that's up today, the day we are recording, but not the day this is being released. We talked a whole lot about world building in Children of Blood and Bone. Oh yeah. I found it so <laughs> neat to be reading this book, which also does world building just beautifully, sort of in mm -hmm. context of that, where it's also incredible fantasy world building, but just a completely different world. And again, the attention to detail here, like I think Clayton's attention to detail is actually even more impressive than Adeyemi's, which is 
kind yeah. of incredible because Addie Emmys yeah. is, is like top notch. Well, I think like um, with Children of Blood and Bone, it felt so much bigger. That world felt really big. Yeah. Whereas this one feels a little bit smaller, but like the details like make it like, oh, you know, like what this world is all about. That's um, a very good point. That's that's yeah. yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I think it's a difference of scale, like Eunice was mm-hmm. saying. Like the the world building in Children of Blood and Bone is so like it's so full of history mm-hmm. and like the magic systems and everything, whereas the Bells is just there's so much more detail of like just physical detail of the yeah. surroundings and that sort of thing, which I think we get a little bit less yeah. in Children of Blood and Bone. Right. Absolutely. Actually, one thing I find interesting, sorry, bear with me just a sec, Eunice, because I'm going to call back to an episode that you weren't on. But when we were talking about Children of Blood and Bone, I remember you, Hannah, saying um, you found it frustrating that the animals weren't described. And we were kind of talking about where that comes from. Mm. But then in this book, with the teacup elephants and teacup dragons and everything, I didn't have that need to have anything described, even though they also weren't described. Which I find, I, I think that just kind of picks up on the note we were saying about like when you're talking about familiar animals, mm-hmm. just on a different scale. Yeah. Versus like new invented animals. Mm-hmm. Um, that is so true. Because when I was reading Children of Blood and Bone, I like didn't, I couldn't connect with the animals right. as I could with the bells mm-hmm. because I knew exactly what it was, but it was like cute and small and I knew I wanted one. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, because it's you almost don't need to describe the teacup animals because it's just for like a teacup. It's just, it's the animals that we know, but just tiny. Yeah. Um. yeah. <laughs> and I think you really do get the sense of the aesthetic. I'm going to use this word a lot probably, but like, cool. I think this book was hashtag aesthetic, right? It was like, you knew exactly like where she was getting, like what type of like aesthetic she was building yeah. with this book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> to, to me, it felt a little bit capital from the Hunger Games. Um, mm. And a little bit Libba Bray, Great and Terrible Beauty series. Um, it just felt like it it pulled from so many different canons and so many different worlds and yeah. just melds them all together into this just absolutely beautiful, immersive experience. Yeah, I definitely got Capital vibes from it yeah, as well. Yeah. I was, yeah. But like capital, but make it steampunk. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Although I don't think it is truly steampunk. I think there's a steampunk mm-hmm. aesthetic, but I wouldn't call this a steampunk novel. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like even um, what was the book that was like much more with the boat, the book with the ship. Yes. Um, it's the one. The <laughs> we one did that an Kat, episode on this. the one that Cat uh, <laughs> that Cat recommended. I can picture the cover. Yeah. And I cannot remember what the it was left-handed called. fate. Yes. I would say is more steampunk. Mm-hmm. But um, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the darker dimensions of beauty in this book. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. There's a lot to beauty. It's not just gorgeous and immersive. It's also mm-hmm. yeah. dangerous. And I think a complicated ethic. I think there's a very complicated mm-hmm. ethic around beauty. Um, that I want to get into. Uh, Eunice, you were like talking about it a little bit before. Yeah, I want to start by like saying that for me, I think it was really interesting because the book was written so beautifully and like the like, um, it was all about that feel of like everything seems so like well put together. 
Um, there's something like kind of insidious about that where you're like really enjoying the cover, you're enjoying the descriptions, but then also, um, oh, and then you kind of realize that like this world is, um, yeah, it's really like prescribed and, um, so like, and it's like, it's just more insidious than you, um, see on the surface. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think like Danielle Clayton does a really good job of that where she creates this whole world and then like kind of drops you in it and then you're like left with it being like, oh man, like think about all the ways that like society um, kind of shows you what beauty is mm -hmm. and then how we kind of kind of play into that and then just like be um, influenced by that, like what we think of beauty is that even like what we um you know ourselves like individually like um see as beautiful right. or is it everything every single thing that we think is pretty from like what color hair somebody should have to like what dress we should wear or whatever like is that all coming from like big like capital whatever like coming down from like above somewhere like someone in power is like has the control and we're kind of just prescribing to it or subscribing to it yeah you absolutely know? yeah yeah on that kind of point it, it i think it it exemplifies the the idea to which this is present in our society that like there are things about beauty that are fashions that change like mm -hmm. like body type like what is in fashion changes um but it's so um kind of emphasized in this book because you can change those things as easily as you can change your clothes yeah, yeah I found myself thinking a lot about Uglies by Scott Westerfeld reading this mm. book um, because it's a similar premise in that in order to be socially acceptable you go through a, a procedure to change your um, look and I know when we talked about Uglies I did say a few times that I'm like still ethically on the fence <laughs> with it um, but I found with with the bells I ended up getting so much more sympathetic to body modification in it because I'm like but but they're really ugly <laughs> I'm like I'm like that well, they're not just normal people they're like actually really ugly before they're transformed so like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and now we haven't read the second book yet I have it I'm looking okay. forward to starting yeah. it so so uh if you have some like nuanced dimension on that, you can definitely bring it up. But like, don't spoil I've it. I've only please. just started <laughs> reading, so I don't think okay. I have enough. So we can just kind of be comfortable in knowing yeah. that the first book exists. Because yeah. I <laughs> am really curious to find out if the grease is actually uh, artificial. Yeah. Oh. Mm -hmm. If yep. it's like a, yeah. a a large scale kind of virus or something that the government mm -hmm. released to get power i'm mm. really curious to see if that's the case oh i could totally see that being the thing in yeah. the second book yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. of like you have to have bells to maintain power mm -hmm. how do you make bells a necessity um right yeah 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 i had not thought of that because yeah, part of part of what makes this very different from the uglies world is um is that you you have to undergo these treatments continually mm. not just once because yeah. they wear mm -hmm. off yeah yep. yeah yeah um and i'm really struck also by the diversity in this book so yes. with with uglies there's very clearly you have to look exactly this way because this is how you're biologically wired to look 
uh, and mm-hmm. to want to look and skin tone is regulated and everything and in the bells it's just overwhelming the the options are overwhelming um and you see that with Sophia kind of having almost a, a breakdown a complete like sociopathic meltdown <laughs> because there are too many options and she doesn't right. know how to be the most beautiful when there are so many mm-hmm. options I, I I think I haven't read a book where someone has kind of dug into that and dug into the problems that are created when you're looking for the most beautiful in a world where there are so many different ways of being beautiful. Um, mm. I find that's just a really special thing about this universe. That mm. it's it's not about yeah. sameness exactly. It is, I mean, again, there's that word again. It's about a general aesthetic. <laughs> I, I was also really struck in this book by... Um, by like visual identity and how and how that works in this universe and how it kind of breaks down because like I mean I even I had this thought there was at one point she like sees Princess Sophia across the room and is like oh there's Princess Sophia but she looks different than she did the other day and I'm like but how do you know it's her then yeah that's absolutely I hadn't I hadn't had that exact moment but that came up sometimes (laughs) remembering the scene the really kind of pivotal and important scene where Sophia has her and Amber, another bell, radically transform one of her um, uh, ladies-in-waiting, basically, over and over mm-hmm. again. And the lady-in-waiting's girlfriend is in the room watching. And just mm-hmm. that made me think about, like, what is it to have a relationship with someone in a world where your partner's appearance can always be changing? Mm-hmm. And it does seem like the constant change is kind of a youth thing, and most people do choose a look to stick with as adults. But even that's interesting, you know? Like, what does that say about us as people when we both crave variety and crave sameness in a way, Mm -hmm. or familiarity, I guess? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I thought it was interesting that, like, the color of your skin or, like, your hair like could change but like I think one of the things that they kept coming back to was like oh like we need to look like we need to stay young or we need to look young Mm -hmm. um I don't think anyone was kind of um like I think that was like one of the biggest worries of um, people changing their appearances right right yeah I'm I'm a little sad that we didn't get more of the queen I think. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think we will get more of her kind of retrospectively in the Mm -hmm. second book. But she seems so uh, forward thinking in this Mm -hmm. society, both in that she decides to let herself age. Mm -hmm. She forbids organ rejuvenation and says like, nope, nope, people, you know, do eventually die and that's normal. And there's also just one little note in it that like sent shivers down my spine. One of the headlines that was included was the queen um, permitting a boy to live his truth and transform into a girl. And Mm -hmm. that like that came up in a point where we weren't really sure how good the queen was. It was kind of you're still trying to figure out if she is a a good or a baddie. Um, Mm -hmm. And that just, I, I remember being like, oh, I really hope she's good. <laughs> like, yeah, because I want that to be the act of a good queen. Yeah, so, okay, so let's talk a little more about kind of the whole system 
Because I think we've alluded a whole bunch and we haven't really kind of dug in, especially because this book starts in a time when it seems like the system is in a bit of a state of collapse. There used to be hundreds of bells per generation. Now it seems like there's only a dozen or so. But then there are all these secret bells that nobody talks about. And yeah, there's really... It's just an interesting situation where we have this system where... Bells provide service and are kind of said to have power, but don't really have power politically, and they're kind of dying out and they're kind of being controlled. Because I have trouble seeing the bell's power, the arcana, as a negative thing. I think it is a positive force or a neutral force, because like magic can be positive, negative, or neutral, right? Mm -hmm. Depending on how you wield it. They allude to bells who went bad and used Mm -hmm. their power for, for... destruction and it really seems as though the bells are just not actually taught how their power works yeah Um, i think that's definitely the case um yeah i feel like the arcana element to it um there's definitely a thing of more exploration there um i did read a little bit of the second book like i said and um, I think that's going to be a big part in the second book yeah. of like exploring how that works. And um, maybe it's like a source of empowerment for the bells, right? Mm-hmm. Where you have this power and now you need to learn w- the extent of the power and how to use it, especially because towards the end, I don't know how we do with spoilers. In we do spoilers. Yeah. We, okay, we do spoilers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so like how in the end she uses that power for the princess right um i can't remember the name of the princess right now but charlotte sure yeah charlotte Charlotte. um and how she's like oh one of the big reveals is like the princess has been you know like sleeping right and she needs to um use that power to help her out in that scene yeah um and then you're like oh yeah this power that um that the bells have is something that's yeah, maybe not. Um, maybe it's been um, kind of downplayed yeah. as to the extent of it. And we're just, they're just now only using it as like body modification stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I want to know who do you think poisoned Princess Charlotte? I don't know. <laughs> do you have a theory? I have a few theories. Hannah, do you have any theories? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I feel like it only could have been Sophia. Okay. So I'm very interested to hear other theories. So I think the obvious is Sophia, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like that, right. that I will not be at all surprised mm-hmm. if it was Sophia. And that is, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. was really set up. One thing that did cross my mind is what if it was the queen and she's playing some real long game? Oh, Wow. <laughs> which I don't want to be true because I love her. Um, The other thought I had was the king is really notably absent. Mm. The king appears at the beginning of the book and then they say, you know, he's off somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he is like he is treated the way queens are treated in in patrilineal monarchies where he's not super important. He's kind of there to Mm -hmm. provide an heir and they, the king and the queen both have their mistresses. Um, love that the queen is a lesbian beautiful (laughs) Mm -hmm. but he just kind of gets shipped off to some island somewhere and nobody talks about Mm -hmm. him for the whole book and I feel like if he was going to be 
not an effective player. It's it's like, you know, you don't put a gun on stage and then not fire it. <laughs> you don't introduce a king at the beginning of the book and then never have him do anything. Mm. And so I'm really curious to see if it turns out that he has been sort of working with Sophia, putting Sophia forward in some way. I think that would be interesting. This is a fan theory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Huh. I yeah I honestly haven't really I hadn't really thought that much about the king. I was just like, oh, he's like there. He's a he's whatever. Like yeah. this is a like female driven society. Like whatever king. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But hmm, maybe maybe there's something more insidious going on with that. <laughs> I mean, I think both ways would work. Like on the one hand, I think it is a fun thing to write a female driven book in a female driven society and be like, yeah, the king's around. Yeah. Uh, because how many times have books done that to women, right? <laughs> but I'm just really curious to see mm -hmm. from the way this book runs, from the twists that Clayton puts in, I would mm -hmm. not be at all surprised if there's some twist nobody saw coming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'm so excited for it. Yeah. And I, I hadn't had your specific thought about the king, but I did repeatedly be like, Okay, so I get that her mother's very sick, but, like, her parents clearly know that Sophia is, like, an unrestrained sociopath. And, like, why mm -hmm. are they allowing her to continue unchecked? Mm, talking about Sophia as a sociopath, like, that part really, I think, like, stood out to me. Because sometimes in books, when villains are introduced, you're mm -hmm. like oh like maybe there's some misunderstanding like maybe there's something and I feel like um so the way that Sophia was written it's like oh man like I don't like she's just absolutely brutal like she's scary mm -hmm. um like I don't think anyone can talk her down from like where she is at like right now mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. and I thought that was a really interesting way of casting that villain in the story yeah, I don't know if you guys thought about that too. Yeah, Hannah was uh, was talking about that earlier, actually. Yeah, I have many. Like, I I think that Sophia is the scariest fantasy villain that I have read yeah. in a long time, possibly ever. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think part of so Tefra and I were talking about this a little bit beforehand. Um, is I think part of it is that she's eerily realistic for today in that all of her power just comes from privilege. Like, all of her power is mm -hmm. basically that nobody will say no to her and she knows that because yeah. um, mm -hmm. usually fantasy villains like their power is like they probably have some privilege and they're probably very charming but they usually you know they have like magic or whatever but Sophia it's literally just that nobody will say no to her and she knows that and she uses it yeah mm -hmm. I mean I think that's honestly one of the things that fuels my skepticism about the king and queen individually is just that like you have a historical precedent for saying you know what? Nope. This kid cannot inherit the throne. Like, mm -hmm. and nobody says that. They just say like, oh, we have to wake up Charlotte because the only way we can ever stop Sophia is if we wake up Charlotte. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very, oh, she's such a good villain. She's such a scary villain. I found that like super compelling um, because yeah, honestly, you're just like, it feels like the characters like get like are paralyzed and you feel paralyzed with them. You're like, oh no, like, what can what can they do? What are their options? You know, yeah. and you like find yourself asking that. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing in the second book, the kind of blooming of the Arcana and knowing about the Arcana because 
Sophia, Sophia's power is the kind of power that abusers get. Mm. She's manipulative. She has privilege. And she kind of just like... her power is so fascinating because her power is entirely given to her by other people Mm -hmm. like she doesn't have it on her own yeah um but because other people don't say no to her she has all this power and now everybody is used to not saying no to her Mm -hmm. if everyone around her collectively said no to her she would have no power Mm -hmm. but she has made everyone feel disempowered in various ways and i'm really Mm -hmm. looking forward to seeing the bells learn more about their power and become empowered and see that process because that process is so beautiful when disempowered and oppressed people come into their power learn about their power and then confidently wield it that's just such an exciting process in real life in books in movies everywhere oh for sure yeah um I really do think that's probably how the second book is going to play out and um yeah, I'm really interested to see like where they're going to land with um, the Sophia character. Is it that she is completely like the villain so that we just like they need to like kind of just like destroy her and get rid of her? Or is it like, is there going to be like a redemption mm-hmm. or like, can there be, you know, like, is it that um, like, especially to, like um, wondering where the like beauty standards come from and like thinking about that is that is Sophia kind of like endgame villain right or is there like somebody else that's fueling this kind of idea of beauty standards and beauty modification Mm -hmm. Um, and is she also the victim Mm -hmm. of that society um, at large Um, or or is has she just kind of been brainwashed or I don't know yeah like I think that's also going to be a really interesting thing that happens in the second book and you kind of get the sense of like are we supposed to be working to kind of save her or um like redeem her in some way or is she just kind of you know like maybe she's not worth it or like maybe yeah maybe you know yeah she's not going to be redeemed she could also go in the direction i think of accidentally destroying herself hmm because her whole thing is just like enduring impossible procedure after impossible procedure to reach her standards and you know she drugs herself heavily to get Mm -hmm. through that and I wouldn't be surprised also if it just goes in a direction of she takes on too much uh, and can't Mm -hmm. handle it. I'm really interested in the idea that you brought up of like whether she can be redeemed or not because it reminds me of something I was thinking while I was reading the book and then kind of forgot about is like thinking of Sophia as a bully in the way that like bullies often it's coming from a place of of insecurity and like deep mm-hmm. self-hatred and I think for sure you can really see that with Sophia and so I think exploring that more would be very interesting what about Sophia and Charlotte's relationship? Can we delve into that a little bit? Because we only see a glimpse, but what we see is interesting. Yes. I, yes, I can continue on that. Yeah, I was yeah. I was kind of hoping one of you would be like, yes, absolutely. I have all these thoughts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but we do see that when Camellia threatens uh, Charlotte's well-being, Sophia panics. And Mm -hmm. Sophia, uh, the queen also says, like, Sophia is is just lashing out uh, because of her sister's illness. 
which I, you know, like I believe and I don't believe. I I am a parent and I can understand how you would really want to believe that your sociopathic child is just hurting. Um, mm-hmm. But but we do see Sophia terrified at the prospect of losing Charlotte. Mm-hmm. We also see like deep jealousy of Charlotte though. So it's a very, yeah, it's a very interesting, yeah, you don't really know. I don't have a clear read on what their relationship is Um, because yeah, you see both of those things very clearly. Yeah. Is it like a, you know, just like a sister sibling rivalry type of relationship Mm -hmm. Um, kind of fueled by, um, yeah, like Sophia's maybe insecurity. Mm -hmm. Um, or is it more or is it that maybe she just like I mean, yeah, I don't know. Maybe she does kind of care because of that um like familial bond. Yeah. Um, but she can't kind of control her insecurity um or jealousy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean if Sophia is the one poisoning Charlotte too, that gives it another dimension also. Uh, mm-hmm. Sort of. Well, I wanted to keep her asleep, but I didn't want her dead. Um, right. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I'll wake her up once I've like had my fun as as queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, something like that. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking more about whether or not Sophia is the one poisoning Charlotte. Yeah. Because uh, there's the very interesting detail of of Sophia puts new flowers in the poison yes. comb every week. And mm-hmm. so I was, the face that I was making was thinking about um, how that could be one of two things. That could be either she knows that it's poisoned and wants to like emphasize the importance of never taking it off but like making mm-hmm. it this sentimental thing or she has no idea and like that actually is just an act of sisterly love and devotion like like you were referencing with with her deep like she was clearly really distressed by the idea of charlotte being in danger mm-hmm. so yeah. or the flowers refresh the poison yeah 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 mm-hmm. uh so much we're gonna have to do a follow-up episode after we've all read the midnight yeah. rose is it um everlasting rose everlasting rose yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah we need to wrap up soonish but we haven't really talked about kind of where this book came from according to clayton in the afterword and mm-hmm. sort of tying it to current society and i think it's worth spending some time on that because it is you know very much tied into how this book was born So Clayton says that in the afterword that she wrote the book based on just kind of this battle that she's had since she was a little girl when she heard men talking about how they would change their girlfriends to be more appealing. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, I think it's probably something we have all heard (laughs) at some point (laughs) Um, because we've all gone to high school. Although, Hannah, you went to, like, a nice little mostly queer people high school. Yeah, I definitely like, was, like, wow. sheltered. At, like, <laughs> so I went I went to an arts high school. So the student mm-hmm. body was, like, I, I would say approximately one-fifth male. And, like, probably 50% of those boys were queer. So, like, it was... I definitely <laughs> nice. was, was sheltered from, like, some of the immediate fa- effects of like toxic mm. heteromasculinity um, but you yeah. did a science degree but yeah then, <laughs> then I went and did a science mm, undergrad mm-hmm. so yeah 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 um but then she, you know Clayton talks about kind of going into this obsessive mode where she would cut out pictures of models and do like really this kind of she had a little room where she would do this kind of scientific interrogation of what is sexy and how do you be the sexiest yeah. um and this book really came out of that struggle 
I feel like that's something probably we can all resonate with. I just want to spend some time. I definitely like I, I read it and remembered. Eunice, you might even remember this, actually. I had a the magazine. The magazine's under, under the your, floorboard. Um, floorboard? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because yes. my mom didn't want yeah. me reading fashion magazines. And I love fashion. Um, and, and I mean, it did really come like I did spend a lot of time just looking at the clothes. But of course, there was a certain element of also just how do I make myself look like that? And I and I had just piles and piles of magazines under a floorboard in my bedroom. I find that, yeah, the, the beauty work in this, I think it's really interesting to think about the differences between the beauty work in this book and in the Ugly series. Mm. Because you see that the, the beauty work in Uglies is really, um, it is supposed to, and it does to a large degree, kind of take away the status element of beauty. Um, because everyone, like, it, it acts as an equalizer, whereas it does not in this universe at all. It, ex- like, if anything, it heightens, like, our society's obsession with being the prettiest. Um, and so that that's just really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you have the Tattlers and the, is that, that's what it mm-hmm. is in, in the Bells. You have this paparazzi culture Mm-hmm. Where that yep. nobody is free from. Like, it, it's not so much how in our world we have the upper class of celebrities who the paparazzi go after. The paparazzi are kind of constantly looking. It's more like social media influencers, really. Mm-hmm. Um, they're constantly looking for new targets. I am interested to see if in Everlasting Rose, because she's in a more remote community, mm-hmm. um, to see what the society looks like when the pressure is off a little bit and when the borders of this world are broadened a little bit. Mm, yeah um yeah i think the um it's really interesting as to like um thinking about where our ideas of beauty is coming from and i think like i was always in like a really interesting um like place growing up because i feel like in a way i felt that like fashion magazines or like celebrity beauty ideals um and like even ads um are like we're like i don't know something maybe like not as much to aspire to or um as more of like unattainable goals Mm -hmm. um i think mostly because i was like well i'm never gonna look like the people who are in these magazines because first of all they're white (laughs) 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 um i'd have to undergo something completely different to do that and I guess that um in in the context of the bells where like you can kind of change everything from your skin tone to like the shape of your eyes to like whatever like that kind of um is I thought that was really interesting because you're not like um you're not restricted to like our like yeah of like our limitations of like how like I guess your body could be and like there is a bit of that like especially I'm Korean and like in a lot of like Korean beauty culture um people do undergo those like body modifications like with plastic surgery and like plastic surgery is like really big in Korea um and I think like growing up one, I just like was like, "Ew, surgery! I don't want to do surgery." <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like, I I'm scared of like going under knife needles and all that stuff. So like, there's that barrier. But like, I just I think there was this weird like disconnect for me where um, I was like, "Oh, like for me, I think that's like a 
that's like a hassle. Like I can't do that anyway. And I can't be like, you know, but like, I think it came out as more of like, really like, um, subtle, insidious ways, you know, where like, I would never feel really beautiful or pretty. And like, um, and in that way, it was that that's the way that it came out instead of like me actually wanting like body modifications. right? Right. Like I think when I was younger, it would always be like, oh, but why can't I have blonde hair? Yeah. And then, like, when I'm older, it's like, oh, I guess I could dye my hair blonde. Yeah. But that's also, like, eh, also, I'm at this point, I'm kind of over it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then let me tell you something about dyeing your hair blonde is that sometimes your hair melts off and then you end up having <laughs> right. an, a forced buzz cut, um, yeah. which um, might have happened that, to me this summer. Yeah. And there was that like unfortunate time in eighth grade when I had blonde hair highlights, and then I look back and I'm like, oh my goodness. Oh, but those were cute. I mean, they're hella dated, but that was cute. (laughs) But yeah, so I mean, I think for me, it's more like even now, I think, actually, I think maybe it might be worse now because um, I'm on Instagram a lot, obviously. um, And like I get targeted ads, but these targeted ads are like, like pretty Instagram posts and like they don't even have people in them necessarily it's more about selling the aesthetic you know (laughs) yeah Um, and then like I feel like now it's even harder to be like because there is kind of that distance for me whereas like if I saw it on a person um I think it was more like oh I won't be able to obtain it like it's not gonna happen for me whereas now I feel like I'm just like scrolling through things and I'm like, oh, that looks so pretty. Yeah. And like, I don't have the thought of like, oh, um, cause it's not on like a model necessarily. Um, so it's just more like, oh, I could have that lifestyle. Yeah. And I think that's where it comes into play for me where it's like, I guess I could like, I don't know. It's like, it seems like very blank canvas. And I was like, I could just kind of insert myself in that. Yeah. Um, and that's a little scary for me. Yeah, I get yeah. that. I'm really interested in that idea that you brought up of of kind of like the whether or not the standards seem almost attainable, like changing the pressure to attain them. Because um, I think that's really well. So it remind I think it. I think you see that in this book, and it um, it definitely resonates with um, kind of my, my experience as a teenager was very different from what you're describing. Because, and I think partially because I am so I am white. Um, I'm also six feet tall and was very thin as a teenager. And so, Mm -hmm. like, the fact that my sort of body shape and appearance was... Felt like that ideal was attainable because it was similar to what I already looked like. For me, Mm -hmm. at least, very much heightened the pressure to actually look Mm -hmm. like that. Um, (laughs) And I think that something like that is, is at play here where it's, like, because it is possible to endlessly modify. Um, it makes the pressure to to be the most beautiful more yeah. stronger because it feels like it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Actually, sure. that's making me think about... So sometimes I'm involved in like body positivity, fat positivity on Instagram. And one of the things mm-hmm. that happens a lot in body positivity um, that's really insidious is you have models like Ashley Graham who are mm. really held up as uh, 
body positive. Like, wow, yeah. she's so body positive. She so embraces her curves. She's a professional model. And like, <laughs> and, and she is gorgeous. Like, yeah. um, and she is like, you know, she is actually plus size. She's not one of the models who's actually a size eight. Um, yeah. And my God, like, I do wish that had been, there had been any models like that when I was a teenager because I really had this like, you know, I looked fine <laughs> in retrospect, but because the like the look in that time was super skinny and that is not a thing my body mm. can ever do, including mm -hmm. in starvation as evidenced by high school. Um, I think having these models would have been really good for me then because that's what my body looked like then. But now I'll be in body positivity and I'll be like, but like if I did just punish my body into having a flatter belly, I could still be body positive, but I would just be like better body positive. <laughs> <laughs> and it yeah. is it's that sense of attainability where it's like you know yeah. I see somebody who's a skinny model and I'm like oh yeah no at this point you know I'm almost yeah. 30 years old I can give up on the idea of ever attaining that but right. like if it's Ashley Graham I'm like well like mm. like you know plastic surgery has become a thing I think about and yeah. I'll be like if I did get just a tummy tuck I could look like that and it's like mm -hmm. financially that will never happen because I I don't have ten thousand dollars at my disposal but like right. it is it's that sense of attainability it's like there's one thing I could do and then I could look like mm -hmm. that and it's much easier to dismiss a completely unsustainable thing although these I mean these operations are unsustainable in that they wear off and the the queen mm -hmm. brings up that people are spending more spintria on beauty yeah. procedures than food and they're also working the bells like into the ground yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah for sure yeah so it is it is actually not a sustainable system it just looks like one uh yeah i think that's really important to like when we kind of uncover that world a little bit um thinking about how like they're like even the bells had this idea of what their job was going to be like um and i feel like in the beginning camilla was always talking about like wouldn't it be amazing to be the favorite wouldn't it be amazing to have this like um prestige or like be this important um and she definitely had this idealized view of what her power was um capable of doing and like what she was bringing to the society yeah. um and then yeah and then when she uncovers all of this she's like oh wow like yeah this is um this is really hurting the society yeah. this is not there's something going that's there's something deeper here where um yeah the people are kind of just like really addicted to um to these um body modifications absolutely beauty yeah. standards yeah. yeah well and I mean I think that like we don't have as much plastic surgery in in North American culture mm -hmm. partly I think just because it's it's uh, financially really not not achievable Although I do feel like that's why Kim and Kanye went for a surrogate for their third baby. Hmm. Like, I think it was kind of like, uh, you shouldn't really go through the procedures you go through after having a baby another time. <laughs> like, yeah. you, should, yeah. you should just, like, not get pregnant sure. again because you shouldn't. Like, I, I, I think my yeah. theory is that's what happened. And um, I think going back yeah. to the accessibility thing, right, is, like, if... Like, I, and I think of, like, if, like, again, I'm going to bring up, like, Korean plastic surgery culture, mm -hmm. where, like, if it is as attainable as, like, a graduation gift or, like, <laughs> like, which some people do get, it's yeah. like, oh, like, you're going to get that double eyelid surgery, like, 
after you finish your exams, like as like a gift or it's a celebration. Um, like if that was what our society was like mm-hmm. um, in Amer- in America, like would then what would happen? Like, would yeah. we be like, oh yeah, it's not really an issue. Like everyone's getting it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's about that accessibility and obtainability. And for a very long time, we did have that around nose jobs in our, in Mm -hmm. our culture. Like, I think it's gone a little bit more out of fashion now, Mm -hmm. but like our generation, like (laughs) you, you and I did not get nose jobs because our families didn't have the money to give us nose jobs and because we didn't want them. But like for, for like, I know a lot of Jewish girls for whom it was a rite of passage, that you get your nose job at 16. Like, I do think one place that the sort of accessibility does happen in North America is around diet culture, around this idea that anybody can always be thinner. Mm. And like, thinner is better, and you can always be thinner, and you can always be fitter. Yeah. And there's a million apps and sort of bite-sized diets. And like, I get so much targeted advertising for it even though I report every single ad I see. But like, (laughs) um, you know, because I hashtag things like stretch marks, like Mm, I get mm -hmm. weight loss ads. And um, it really is like there's this you you are never thin enough. I think that's really Mm -hmm. you're never you're never, quote unquote, healthy enough. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the new. I think that's like the new thing, right? Like the (laughs) fitness, like inspiration stuff where it's like that's coded. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 And like healthy is something, healthy is an aesthetic. Healthy is not actually, yeah. Healthy is not actually, you know, measuring your blood levels and your respiration and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Healthy is about being thin and being fit. Um, yeah. and being muscular. Yeah, I mean, something I talk about sometimes, I'm gonna, we do need to wrap up, but I do <laughs> want to put in this point because I feel like people need to hear it. I was anorexic for a very long time and uh, uh, have been in recovery for maybe like five years, kind of started with my first pregnancy because it's really hard to maintain anorexia while you're pregnant. Not impossible, but... Um, yes. <laughs> and when I started eating regularly, all these just kind of symptoms I always had that I was like, do I have a chronic illness? Just kind of mm. went away. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like heart arrhythmia. <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. and panic attacks and fainting spells and uh you know my chronic anemia improved mm-hmm. and um you know my skin and hair and nails got better and I also gained 50 pounds and uh it's just sort of this idea that being smaller is always more healthy is actually nonsense um yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> like across the board I am a hundred percent more healthy than I was when I was 50 pounds lighter than I am now um yeah but that's not gonna stop people from being like but don't you want to be healthy it's like can you please just say what you actually mean (laughs) which is don't you want to be thin like yeah 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 Yeah, and it's exactly the same thing in another in another guise it's it's the aesthetic is king Mm -hmm. um and we choose an aesthetic we choose a trendy aesthetic and then you do whatever you possibly can to fit into that aesthetic so the bells by danielle clayton it's a great book it's very (laughs) very good um really looking forward to reading the other one um Eunice thanks so much for joining us I would be really into hitting you up again when we're doing the second book <laughs> oh yes. for sure yeah. um 
yeah i i mean yeah this is what i love doing reading and talking about books so thank you for having me yeah it's great to have you do you have anything you want to plug i guess your your bookstagram Yes, my bookstagram. Um, please go check it out. Um, I'm not regular because it is more of a hobby at this point. But um, yeah, I do love um, sharing the books that I read um, and want everyone to read what I'm reading yeah. <laughs> in a selfish way because, you know. Um, but uh, I guess I have a couple of um recommendations okay. um, I've been waiting to I mean I've already plugged this many times with other people but mm-hmm. um, I don't know maybe this is something that you guys want to read for your podcast um, I don't know if you've done this yet uh, but the Ember in the Ashes series by Saba Tahir um, which I was t- definitely late in on the game mm-hmm. for that book um, but I read it. Um, there are three out, and I think there's one more in the series that's set to release 2020, hopefully. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, it's amazing. It's the fantasy book that made me want to read fantasy again. I think for a while, like I'm really into YA realistic fiction, right. contemporary, um, and so like that's what I was reading for a while, um, and then. I kind of stopped reading fantasy. And then this one, I think the stakes are just so high from the beginning. Okay. Um, basically, it's about the society that's kind of like Roman slash Greek culture-esque. Um, but um, there's magic, there's gins, there's... Um, yeah, it's, it's just this society where um, there is um, kind of like a dictator power um and um and then there's this girl laya and she is trying to um rescue her brother who was taken away um from her and in that process she kind of uncovers more about um the society and the magic involved in um and it's just I don't know. It becomes something completely different by book three. Okay. Um, but it's just, I fell in love with the characters. They're just so well done. Saba Tahir is amazing in um, kind of like world building and building these characters. And the character motivations are really great. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just like, am so like in into it like the whole time and you're just like I want the best for these characters but I'm also really afraid of their for their lives um (laughs) because yeah the stakes are just so high um but yeah it's it's really great and then another one um like a contemporary author I want to plug is Maureen Gu yes um, who's amazing and And, um, she writes um, really great um, contemporary about Asian American girls in high school and doing all sorts of things and she's amazing I I have gotten excited about Maureen Gu just from your Instagram (laughs) (laughs) she's really great yeah I think Ember in the Ashes is something that like a lot of people have told us about and this is supposed to be our year of fantasy so basically (laughs) I read lots of of realistic YA and Hannah reads a lot of fantasy so last year we did a lot of realism and this year we're doing a lot of fantasy um (laughs) cool thank you Mm-hmm. Uh, we will we'll yeah. put those on the list. Um, yeah. So Eunice's Instagram is at the unicorn reads a book on Instagram. We'll link that in the show notes mm-hmm. uh, so that you can click through and see all that bookish goodness. 
Thanks for listening to Yeah. If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at yapodcast, individually at Tefferbear and at the Balesosaurus. Eunice, are you on Twitter? No, I'm not. Okay, <laughs> so follow Eunice on Instagram at the Unicorn Reads a Book. If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yapodcast to donate. Special thanks to our patrons Chantal, Chantal, I'm so sorry Chantal, Chantal Thomas, Catherine McGuire, Catherine Resch, and Lizzie Tenhove for your ongoing support. You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. We really love it when you do that. Or by sharing this episode with a friend. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced and edited by Tom Zalatni as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. wondering what are you doing in my bathroom well this is very easy to explain hold hold on let me let me just blow dry my hair here uh i'm here to tell you about lasers on the ride podcast it's available wherever you get your podcast it's a mix of comedy uh interviews and the existential drama that only real life can bring now i'm gonna go take a shower goodbye Hi, I'm Howard Mitnick, host of Gateway Music. Join me as I talk with people about the artists and albums that changed their lives, and about the artists and albums that changed mine. Available on the Upford Network and wherever you get your podcasts.